0: 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 24. And I read. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as he abound in everything in faith, in utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, See that ye also abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion, of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who has begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance, also out of which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased, and ye burdened, but be an equality, that that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want that the abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. For indeed he accepted the exhortation, but being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches." And not that only, but who was also chosen of their churches to travel with us by this grace, which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and declaration of your ready mind. Avoiding this that no man should blame us in this abundance, which is administered by us. Providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have seen, and we have sent with them our brother, whom we have oftentimes. Proved diligence in many time, many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. Whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper. Concerning you or our burden be inquired of, they are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. Wherefore show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Amen.
1: Uh, we are privileged to have the second in command of our denomination as a ghana baptist convention ministering to us this morning Uh, this man uh, is in charge of ministries in our convention when we talk of ministries uh it's a lot all of us pastors uh, under him, our conference, uh, recognition, ordination, licensing—the one who certify us to do ministry—all that responsibility is upon his shoulder. So that man needs prayer. He needs a lot of prayer. Uh, he work under our president, and he's here this morning to preach to us. So he's a national leader. I know he has a lot of greetings to bring to us and to share a lot of things that are going on in our denomination. He's here with his wife. Help me receive Reverend and Mrs. Ina Tongsin.
2: Hallelujah. Give praise to God. Give praise to God. He's our help, He's our salvation. Father in heaven, we give you praise and thanks. You are the reason why we leave. You are help and our salvation. Lord, because of you, we can skip and dance. Because the victory is ours through our association with you. So Lord, bless the few minutes we spend around your word. Lord, put in us that which we need to worship you in spirit, in truth, and with our substance, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our topic today, and I want to thank Reverend Dr. David and the staff, the pastoral leadership and deacons for asking me to come over and fellowship. For me, it is a real privilege. The topic for today's reflection is Worship the Lord with your substance. Worship the Lord with your substance. And our text has been read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 24. Our substance in worship to the Lord. When we talk of our substance, I want to expand the meaning of that word to cover not only our financial and material resources, but also our intellectual acquisitions, our skills and our talents, and anything that we have that can bring progress. With this broad definition, I'll soon narrow back to the specific understanding of substance in terms of our treasure. So I'm talking of your time, I'm talking of your talents, I'm talking of your treasure, but I'm zeroing in on treasure. We worship God. As believers in Christ, we worship God. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says that, Whatsoever you do, therefore, Whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Christian worship is the totality of our life as an expression of our response to the grace of God. The totality of our lives. So when you are cooking as a housewife in your kitchen, you are in worship. Say amen. When in the, in, the, in, the, in the hospital you are a nurse and you're taking care of a patient, you are in worship. Say amen to that. Worship is not just when the choir sings soft music and you feel like lifted to cloud 99. Have you been on cloud 99 before? That is just a segment of our expression our response to the graciousness and the goodness of God. The Bible says, Mark 8, 1 Corinthians ten, thirty-one. whatsoever you do, therefore, whether you eat or drink, do it all as an act of worship. So, so there is actually no way in which our substance will have to be discussed specifically as something that needs to be roped into our worship. Because when I go to the bank to cash my, my, my salary, I am in a worshipful mood. When I write a check for something I want to buy, I am in a worshipful mood. When I'm determining whether to buy a very luxurious and expensive car that does not serve any purpose but only project my ego... I am in a worshipful mood. So writing my check is a worship act. But because we have established this dichotomy between the spiritual and the mundane, worship and life, it becomes necessary for us to have this discussion to try to bridge the gap and to bring us to where we should be That our substance is part of our worship. The apostle Paul encouraged the believers to worship God with their substance. And our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is part of his effort to help the believers in Corinth to realize that their substance was part of their worship. You go into chapter 9. He, he tells them the blessings that come from worshiping God with their substance. We won't go into that, but when you have read what we are discussing today, go into chapter 9 and see the blessings that accumulate to your credit when we worship God with our substance. No writer in Scripture catches this, but the Apostle Paul catches it for us in Acts chapter 20 verse 35 that the Lord Jesus Christ made a statement in which he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So giving was an act of worship that attracted divine blessing. And this morning, as we discuss how to bring our substance into worship, I'll try quickly to look at scenarios that tell us that our substance cannot be part of our worship. And then I'll look at six principles that should guide us to see why our substance is part of worship and how we should apply our substance in worship. So my first submission this morning is that there are notions of worship without our substance. There are notions that you can worship God, but your money and your treasures do not have to get involved. Let me look at just quickly four of these. First is the worldly economic smartness. Worldly economic smartness tells me that the more I keep, the better for me. And so, if I'm capable of giving 200 cities as offering... I can go and give 50 cities and suppress the 150 and use it for something else. I'm being economically smart. God can take the 20 and then I'll keep the extra that I could have easily given also. The more I hold for myself, the better. And so when there's a project in the church when there is a need with the Christian community, when somebody needs help that I can give and I can give it as an act of worship, I choose to give less or nothing because the natural economic sense of the human being tells me the more I hold for myself, the better for me. The second Philosophy of thinking that says you can worship without involving our substance is the spiritual claim of Satan to ownership of all that there is. You remember when Satan met our Lord Jesus Christ in the wilderness? And he said, the Bible says, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the beauty of the of the cities of the world. And then he says, all this has been given to me. Bow, just bow down to me and I'll give it all to you. Satan claims ownership of all that we have. He claims ownership of the treasures and the talent and the time that God has given to us to use in worshiping him. And even after we become born again, that thinking pervades in our minds. And Satan fights our spirits and our minds and and, and consistently tries to bring us back into believing that the thing belongs to him. Of course, In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4, the Bible describes him as the God of this world. Satan is described as the God of this world. Not because he is God, but because he projects himself as God, presents himself as as God, and claims ownership of all that there is. When you go home, take time and read, read from Exodus chapter 3 all the way to Exodus chapter 14 and, and look at the interesting dynamics of the interaction between Moses, Aaron, and Pharaoh of Egypt. When God had sent Moses to go deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt, persistently Pharaoh tried to determine who can go, whether they can go at all, how many Men can leave; whether the women and the children can go. In one of the instances, verse chapter ten, verses eight and nine of Exodus, Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh, because he has been harassed and buffeted by the finger of God, whipping the nation, the most powerful nation on earth at the time, he says, "Listen, go, go worship the Lord your God." I'm giving you permission to go. Then listen to what he says next. But just who will be going? Satan wants to determine how much of myself goes into worship. When I decide all of myself will go into worship, Satan comes next and say, I hope your wife and your children are not going to be as crazy about Jesus like you have children. When I say my wife and my children are going to, it says, well, your wife and your children can go, but your checkbook I hope." Look at verse 9. Moses answered, we will go with our young and old, with our sons and daughters, with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Moses took the position where he was going, the men were going, the women were going, the boys were going, the girls were going, and the cattle were going. Well, cattle in those days was like dollars and pounds, sterlings, and euros. It was cash. It was it was the the measurement of your wealth. And so, Moses said, it is not only the people that must be freed to go worship the Lord. Our properties and our wealth, our silver and our gold, all of that must be liberated to worship the Lord. But the point I'm making is, Satan wants us to limit our commitment to worship with the few hours we spend in church and he wants to Capture the rest of the time, the the talents, and the treasures that God has given us. The third notion that says we can worship without our substance is the self-indulgent heart. The self-indulgent heart. The human being loves to be pampered and better still to pamper him or herself. In fact, there is a lot going out there which says, pamper yourself. Have you seen one of them? I hope you're pampering yourself. Okay. <laughs> it is good to pamper yourself because, you see, I saw a trot the other day. Uh, those of you who don't know what trot is, it is, it, it is, it is trotsky. Uh, trotsky is, okay, public transport. <laughs> and they have written at the back, happy yourself. Tell your neighbor, happy yourself. <laughs> you, you've got to happy yourself, man. You've got to make yourself glad about life. So we need some deserved self pampering. Take good care of ourselves. <laughs> but when we carry that to the point where it interferes with God's expectations of us, then we are Getting on the path of evil when it's all about me, and I can make use of what I keep and refuse to give out. Look at James chapter four, verse three. And James is discussing the prayer life of the believers and why their prayers were not being answered. And he said in verse three, "When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives." That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I'm praying for God to bless me, but it's just so I can build another house. I'm praying for God to bless me materially, for my business to expand, for, for, for for me to get promotions on the job. But just so that people will see that I too am their son. Oh, so I can also buy as, you know some of those cute things they have in that other house. Now I want all my brothers and sisters, when we have a family meeting, to realize that, yeah, brother came to the meeting, you know what I mean. Because I want to puff myself up. I want to project myself. I want to be the biggest and the best. And so I'm seeking material welfare but not thinking about how that comes into my relationship with God, my walk with God, and the kingdom agenda to reach the nations with the truth of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The fourth notion that seeks to worship God without the involvement of my resources is the forgetful mind that rejects divine ownership. There is a tendency in human behavior to forget that it is God who blesses us. In my hometown, they say, I sit in a huh? Come on, talk to me. You are my hometown person. When you get well settled, it, it has a tendency to make you forget that some time ago you were not that blessed. Some time ago you did not have those skills. Some time ago you did not have those certifications. Some time ago you did not have that much money to spread around. And, and Moses was so certain about this truth that in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he, he warned the people of Israel. Remember, God had told Moses, Moses, you can see the land of Canaan, which I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is a place that the people you've learned from Egypt are going. But because of what you did at the waters of Meribah, you shall not enter into that land. You climb the mountain and have a telescopic view of it, but you shall die on this mountain. And Moses knew that when God had spoken, God had spoken. And so he called the people of Israel together and because of the forgetfulness that comes with prosperity... In Deuteronomy chapter 8, take note of it and read from verse 1 all the way down. It says, when you enter that land and your cattle increase and you find wells you did not dig and you harvest crops from trees you did not plant and you dig silver and gold from the ground and your prosperity increases, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. I pray to God that none of us in this room has been caught in that web where you got a job and therefore you do not have time for prayer meetings no more. Where you got a job so you have more money and you can spend Sundays at the beach rather than in church. Where you got a you got a wife and and therefore you cannot pay your tithe anymore. God deliver us. God was the one who would have blessed them and brought them to Canaan would be forgotten Moses warned them I pray for us as we talk today may none of us forget listen you went to school with some people you sat in the same class but today you are better off than them I tell you with my eyes open it's not because you are smarter than them I said, it's not because you are smarter than them. It is by the grace of God. And that is why I've got to bring everything on board. Some of us were born in countries that are economically sound. Some others were born in countries that do not have economic sound. Did you hear that? Not that they are unsound, they don't have economic sound. You didn't choose to be born in America. You didn't choose to be born in Australia. You didn't choose to be born in a country that has prosperity even for the unbeliever. And why? You have a job better than your colleagues. You, you, among your siblings, you were the only one who could go to university. Don't forget that it, in verse 18, it says, do not forget that it is the Lord your God who gives you the power to make wealth. Do not forget that. When we forget that, then we think that what we have acquired is by our ingenuity. And we forget to bring it to the foot of the king of the kingdom. Finally, the notion that we can worship God without our substance, comes from a philosophical position which says that matter does not matter in the matter of worship. Matter, material does not matter in the matter of our worship. It is the Greek Greek philosophical position called dualism the dichotomization, the separation between material and spirit. The Greeks believed that ideas, spirit is good, matter, material, physical was evil. And so for them, when a person died, it was an opportunity for the spirit man to be released of the bondage of this physical body. Now listen to that. You, you need to understand that and what it meant for Christianity. And so, for the, for the Greeks, sipping into Roman culture after them... When the Christians arose and began to talk of the resurrection, it was pure nonsense. Because when people died and they were freed of their body, there was no need for a revitalization or a resurrection of the body. Why do you want to bring the trash back? And it is important, read the scriptures, you discover that in the early church... The preaching of the apostles did not only talk about the death of Jesus Christ, but it also taught extensively about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The teaching of of the gospel to those who became followers of Jesus through the apostles also included a very high dosage of resurrection teaching. And so back to our philosophy, what what it meant for them was that when you want to worship God, you worship God with your spirit and not your body. And that is why in Rome and in Corinth, you realize that people had become Christians. They had accepted that Jesus died and rose again for them, but their lifestyle was inconsistent with biblical expectations. And that is why you read the book of Corinthians and you find a man having a, a, a flirtatious affair with his stepmother. And you, write, you read the book of Romans and the apostle Paul is struggling. And in chapter 6 verse 1, he says to them, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? They had accepted grace. Grace is my spirit. What I do with my body doesn't matter. And some of us may have that philosophical position that my, as, as long as I've, I've declared before people that I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I'm saved. As long as I lift up my hands and close my eyes and and feel so good in the house of God and I finish singing, I'm done. What I do with my body and what I do with my wallet and what I do with my checkbook, what type of clothes I buy, it doesn't have anything to do with my Christianity. Wrong. Ten times wrong. So in in this past few minutes, I've tried to show you that it is possible to be dragged into a thinking that I can be a Christian and how I handle my body, how I handle my sexuality, how I handle my cash, how I handle the things that pertain to daily living don't have any value for my Christianity. Ten times wrong. But what should be the reality? What should be the fact? My time is running very fast, so I'll just go over some of the things that Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 shows us need to be done so that we can bring our substance into worship. God is us to worship with our substance because God is the owner of everything. In Psalm 24, We read from verse 1, He says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Everything belongs to God. Why therefore can we worship God and not bring everything he has given us back to him? We are called to bring offerings to God in some, some 80, sorry, 96 verses 7 to 9 says, Ascribe to the Lord, all families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Not just only the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, but physical, tangible, countable substance as worshipful offerings brought to my God. God expects us to worship him with our resources. How do we, therefore, bring our time, our talents, and our treasures into the presence of God so that our substance will be a part of our worship? I want to touch on six things very quickly from Second Corinthians chapter 8. First, we can... The first principle is that we can worship God with our substance by giving ourselves fully to God. No matter how big a check you keep writing for this church, if you do not give yourself to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if you do not receive Him as your King in your heart, your big checks will not get you a place in heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, taken from verse 1, the Apostle Paul was talking about the Macedonian church. And they had been very committed to worshiping God with their substance. The, the substance, the fundraising here, was about the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was having a hard time financially. And so Paul and his apostolic band decided that the churches in the diaspora, the Gentile churches, should put money together to be sent to Jerusalem. So Paul had done that on an earlier occasion. And this was another time he was raising funds to send to the church in Jerusalem. And so to verse 1, he, 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 he was boasting about how the, church in, the churches in Macedonia had out of their poverty... Brought the money they could put together and brought it to be sent to Jerusalem. And so he continues to talk about them. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. The Macedonians first gave themselves not partially. But fully to the Lord. And to, to today, the greatest need of humanity is to have God come and rule in our individual hearts. The troubles of the nations, the crisis we face as families. All of that traces back to the rule of Satan and his domination over humanity, which started with the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. The believers, the people in Macedonia became believers by accepting that Jesus Christ came as God's answer to the human predicament. We had gone away from God. That we had been separated from the goodness which God wanted us to have. And Jesus came to offer himself as the sinless sacrifice that would be acceptable to appease and offended God. The Bible says, as many as believe in him, he gives them the power to to be born again and to become children of God. Not born of human desire and of biological combination of chemical factors from male and female parents. But born by the spirit of God and made children of God by the power of the blood of Jesus. So the songwriter says, have you been to Jesus? For the cleansing power Are you washed In the blood of the Lamb? Ah, Are you fully trusting In His grace these are Are you washed In the blood of the Lamb? Have you been to Jesus For the cleansing power Are you washed in the blood of the land Are you fully trusting in His grace these are Are you washed in the blood of the Are you washed in the blood in the blood in the soul Cleansing blood of the land are your coming spotless? Are your garments spotless? Are the white as snow? Are you washed in the blood? Ah, uh, friend, I submit to you today that you must be born again. You need to come to that place. Where you become a child of God. We must come to that place where we are reintegrated with the God from whom we were disconnected. We must experience the grace of Calvary. We must walk in that newness of life that salvation demands. We must be fully sold out to cover his land, working each day by his spirit's help. Sold out, born again, filled with the Spirit of God, sold out to God. Before you bring that check, before you bring that substance, before you bring your skills and your training to bear on the ministry of the church, we must be born again. And now as I speak to you, the Bible says that he who believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That means if we reject Jesus Christ and the love he offers and salvation free, we shall eternally be damned in hell. When I walk around, I look at the obituary notices. I see that people are just dying. And we don't know when any of us will die, but the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that you will face judgment. And it's not because the church wants your money. That's why we're preaching this topic about how to worship God with your substance. Ah, let me tell you, whether you bring your money or not, there will always be money to do God's work until Jesus comes. So it's not because we need your money. It is not because we need your money. God says, the silver is mine. The gold is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. If I needed meat to eat, I will not ask you. This is the boastful God. He says, if I needed meat to eat, I would not ask you. So when I say, bring your cattle into my house for worship, it's not because I don't have meat in my freezer, says the Lord. It is written in Enoch chapter 4. We must be born again! Sold out. And so, at the end of this sermon we will ask you, if, if you want to enter this personal relationship with God and be born again, we decide now. I want this Jesus that this man is so crazy about. I'm not just crazy. I'm very crazy about Jesus. Because Jesus changed my story. I, I say to people. Even if there is no heaven to go to. I just love the benefits of being a Christian right here on earth. So at the end of this service. We will give you the opportunity to respond to an invitation. He says come unto me. All you that labor and I heavy laden. I will give you rest. You will find rest for your soul. You'll find rest for your spirit. You'll find rest for your body. Connect to the Lord before you bring yourself The Second principle, defy your excruciating circumstances. Verse 2 says, out of the most severe trial, there overflowing joy and the extreme poverty world up in rich generosity. Everybody has some difficult Financial issue. Everybody has something that is really suffocating and afflicting. If you look at something that you are suffering in your personal life, you will never bring a substance to God. And look at what they said about the Macedonian believers. That they, they were not poor people. Did you, did you realize that? They were extremely poor people. Their, their poverty is what they call in my hometown, white poverty. Oh yeah, Thank you. Uh, You're you from my hometown. They were extremely poor, and yet, out of their poverty, it welled up in generosity. My time is gone, so defy your excruciating circumstances. Don't keep the story, I don't have it, I'm poor. Begin to give. When you give, you shall receive. Because God will give you seed to sow. Amen, amen, amen. Defy your excruciating circumstances. Get into a, celebrated, a celebrative mode. Get into a celebrative mode. I talked about self-pampering earlier. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't let this world push you down. There are enough factors in this world to keep you depressed. But get into a celebrative mode. Look at the verse 2 again. It says, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity." Decide to be a happy Christian. If you cannot be, ask God to help you to be a happy Christian. If you cannot get that, get your pastor's number and call him to come and counsel you how to shift into joyful mode. What do you get by being depressed? What do you get by, by being sorrowful? Are you the only person who has faced an affliction? My time, they say... You heard that one? You don't understand. It's okay. Get into a celebrative mode. Let me run quickly. Number four, give out of a personal decision. Decide that from today onwards, I'm going to be a giver. I saw a poster somewhere. It says givers never lack. And lackers, they never give. As you give, the Bible says God will give you seed to sow. Because you sow, God gives you more seed to sow. And it says that He will make you rich so that in every instance you will have enough to give towards good causes. God will bless you with decide to give. Finally, develop a personal willingness to give, don't give out of pressure. Don't let anybody put pressure and fear if you don't bring that check for this project, your your business will collapse. That is not true. Decide to give because you are willing to give. And finally, appreciate the rationale for the giving. Appreciate the rationale for the giving. When there is a request, when there is a need to raise money in the house of God, Try to understand the issues at stake. If you don't understand, you may give amiss because you may not be excited about your giving. Look at verses 13 to 15. It says, listen, 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 Corinthians. Corinthians, you speak in tongues. You have gifts of miracles. There are prophets amongst you. You you, you are flowing in the spiritual chart, but you are down on the the financial chart. Listen. Listen. Our desire is not that others might be relieved whilst you are oppressed, but that there might be equality. The reason for this fundraising that Apostle Paul was spearheading was that in the house of God, some people in Corinth and other places had money while some believers in Jerusalem were starving. And the objective was that there might be equality. Do you realize... For those of you who are economic gurus, that there are principles in the Bible, if followed and applied even at the national scale, there shall be no inequality in finances. Do you realize? The the, the, the principles of scripture is that there should be no person in the the house of God who suffers financial needs. Let me tell you something here. In those early days of my life here in this church, I was in the sixth form, and then I finished sixth form. And I went to the University of Ghana. And and around that time, my dad suffered a stroke, and monies were a bit difficult to come by. And I remember one particular semester, um, I had to fall on the welfare provision in this church. Uh, Brother Ayite was then the administrator. And so somebody's money from this church in that semester provided me some money to buy food when I was in university. And today I stand here as a brother in Christ to serve God and to represent all of you across the nation and beyond this country. Blessed be the name of God who does not allow inequality in the house of God. So today they ask that we need to raise some welfare funds so that people who do not have money to go to school can be supported by this church. People who do not have food to eat can be supported by this church. Is that not a good cause? If we are to raise money so we can send the gospel to some village or some town somewhere because they have been known about Jesus. Uh, If Jesus has done anything to you and for you, we shall rush to bring that money because those people need the gospel. He says the reason why we are raising the money is that there shall be equality in the house of God. Try to understand why the money is being raised. Ask questions what the site is being used for. When we have business meetings, ask questions about the use of money that you don't understand. But long story short, Satan would like for us to, to pretend that we are worshiping God. And yet, we keep our monies, our talents, our time and our treasures away from God. May God deliver all of us from the lies of the devil and from philosophical orientations and from background implications that have kept us from bringing everything God has blessed us with into His kingdom. And now, Father, we thank you. We bless you for how far you brought us. Oh, thank you for life. We saw 2019 by your grace. <laughs> It's not because we are smarter than those who died last year. Lord, we acknowledge that everything we have is yours. From this day forward, Lord, grant us the grace to be givers. Men and women who do not worship only by song and by word of mouth, but with our time, our treasures, and our talents. And bless us so that at every occasion we shall have seed to sow for the benefit of your kingdom.